All right. I'm so excited this morning to carry on with this text out of Philippians. So open with me to Philippians chapter 2. In fact, you can go back into chapter 1. I want to do a quick recap. And the reason that I'm so excited about going back into this book of Philippians is that I really believe it's a life-changing book. It's so practical. And all the books of the Bible are life-changing, right? But Philippians is unusually practical in the way that it comes and addresses us in our suffering, in the way that it comes and addresses us in real-life stuff that's going on. That's really, really tough to endure. And all throughout the book, Paul is saying, you are able to, you can, I commend you, I encourage you to celebrate this, to face it with joy. That's a ridiculous statement when you read what's going on in Philippians. That Paul says over and over again, I rejoice. It's called the epistle of joy. It's the most repeated use of the, of the word joy in the whole, like the most concentrated use of the word joy in the whole of the word of God. And yet it's one of the books that speaks so powerfully about our pain and our suffering. The reason I'm so excited to come back to Philippians is that it's practical Christian living. It tells us about how we're meant to live and outwork our lives. So in your Bibles with me this morning, I want you to get familiar if it's your tablet, if it's your phone, whatever it is, you know that through this series we've been trying to throw out stuff saying this is how we read God's Word, encouraging you, this is how you do it on your own, this is how you, you look for stuff and find stuff. So I want you to go through it with me and we, I want to do a quick recap because the section that we're dealing with this morning is not just found in isolation, it's found in context and actually it started way back in chapter 1. Already, and, and Paul has this kind of long monologue, and we've got to take it in chunks because otherwise I'd keep you here for about 10 hours. And the, one of the, the most famous verses out of Philippians is 1 verse 21, right? For to me, to live is Christ, says Paul, and to die is gain. It's a crazy verse, and we've, we've had a whole sermon on that already, so you can go online, newgen.co.za, and you can go and, and, and unpack that and find that. But all I want for our purposes this morning is for you to see that Paul says there's these two scenarios facing me, and they're very real. I could die, or I could live. These are the two things that could happen to me here in this prison. Verse 22 in chapter 1, verse 22 to 26 Paul begins to speak about these two scenarios and he says, if I die, then this. If I live, then this. And he begins to unpack from a personal point of view and from the point of view of the Philippian church what it means if he lives or if he dies. And then verse 27, we spent a whole sermon on this little section, verse 27 to 30. In effect, Paul says, whatever happens talking about the two scenarios, whether I live or whether I die. Whatever happens, only let your manner, Philippians and New Geners this morning, and visitors, only let your manner of life, the way you live, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So he's saying, whatever happens to me, this is what I'm interested in, that you live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so we asked this question, we turned it into a question for ourselves, and we said, am I living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? And it was a real challenge moment in the series. Am, am I? Are you? And Paul unpacks what that looks like, so it doesn't just stay in this nebulous space, like live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ, and you're like, okay. I don't know what you're talking about. He actually unpacks it and he says it looks like. This is what it looks like. It looks like Christian unity. There's this opposition coming and he says, you stand firm in your faith. You live in unity. He says, grow up in your faith. Grow in the, in the knowledge of the faith through suffering. That suffering is God's gift to us. Don't like that in our prosperity gospel, do we? And that God will restore us. And then here's the, here's the crazy thing. 
that we saw in that text in Philippians chapter 1, verse 26, 27, down to 30. And we went, remember we did a week in Ezekiel 35, 36. And we went and looked at how God uses our suffering as the opponents are pushing in against us. And we're standing firm and we're continuing to work out our faith. And we're continuing to say, God, we trust in you. God, we trust in you. It holds up the signboard. It throws up this huge billboard to the watching world. And it says, repent. Repent, you're going to your destruction. And then there's this other little signboard in there. If you read in chapter 27, uh, chapter 1, it's either 27 or 28. And he says, for this is a sign to them of their destruction. Continues a little bit and then it says, and of your salvation. So it's not just a billboard to the world saying repent. It's also a billboard to the believers saying be encouraged. Be encouraged as you stand together. Even these sufferings, don't let them discourage you. Be encouraged. And these two signboards are held up. And we finished, I think, that week with this remarkable thought that the way that we face our suffering can be one of our greatest evangelism tools. The way that you face your suffering, friend, think about it this morning. Someone's died, someone you love. Something's going wrong. You're facing bankruptcy. Whatever it is, whatever the trial is that you're facing, the way that you face that trial can be a great tool in the hands of God for people who are looking in and don't know Him. How do you, how do you do that? How do you have hope in this situation? How do you trust God? It's an incredible tool. And then we see in chapter 2, and I'll go much quicker, there's, Lex spoke about navigating through the rocks. Remember that lovely analogy that he used? And, and Paul begins to, again, he's just practically unpacking, and he says, he says, don't, don't go after selfish ambition, but, but be unselfish, love one another. And he, this is his whole section, and then he does this magnificent thing. He says, because Jesus did it. Not just do, 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 yes, because Jesus did it. And this for me is, is, was the most mind-bending part of this whole book of Philippians. When I got to this section and we, and we started, we did a sermon on, on this, this Christ. This is called the Messiah poem. That God, though He was in the form of God, it says about Jesus, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped for. He didn't exploit, Michael Eaton says, He didn't exploit His Godness in order to have an easier life. And it then speaks about the incarnation of Christ. He came down and lived among us and lived his life to the point of death. The whole gospel is in that little section. And then it says, because of this, God has highly exalted him. We see the incarnation, the life, the death, the glorification of Christ. We see everything in that one little piece. And then you say, well, Paul, what about Stellenbosch today? What about if... You know, we launched Serve Stellies and we're trying to do some justice into Stellenbosch and saying, God, we want to be outside of these four walls. What about if Jesus came and ran it for us? What if he just came down and showed us how to do that? Wouldn't that be incredible? What if I just sat down and Jesus came and preached? Some of you are like, oh, please let that happen. (laughs) Please, please let that happen. What about if Jesus just came down and then we stop in that text in Philippians is basically, he did. He has. We don't have to wonder what would he have done? What would he have thought? He came. He lived among us. And it's this startling, startling piece of Scripture. And that for me is still the mind bender. Trying to to understand, trying to squeeze my mind into understanding that God did that. So the linear thinkers, exactly what I've just said in like 30 seconds if you zoned out. So Paul says, I might live, I might die. Then he says, whatever happens to me, I want you to live a life worthy of the manner of the gospel. I want you to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, wow, as you do that, it's incredible. There's like these two signboards that get thrown up as you enter the city, as you come into Stellenbosch. There on the R44, there's a huge sign to the watching world saying, you're going to your destruction, please repent. And another one saying, be encouraged as you face suffering. God is with you. And there's these two signboards. And then Paul says, your life looks like this. 
It looks like unity. It looks like growing in faith. It looks like growing in joy. It looks like growing in caring for others and putting others first. Serve Stellenbosch. And then he says, oh, and, and by the way, by the way, Jesus has showed you how. There's one more billboard and it's bigger than all the billboards. It's like you can have this little, you can have this example to the world, but Jesus is this huge billboard powerfully proclaiming over every city, over every town in the entire world, I did it. The ultimate billboard. All right, I hope you caught up with me. That's just a quick summary. I wanted to spend 10 minutes of my time this morning just going through that so that we're on the same page because we took a break for four weeks, which was brilliant, by the way. If you go back and listen, Lex did a powerful sermon on uh, fishers of men, being fishers of men. Before that, Ollie did such a great job out of Psalm 27. Um, there was uh, some tears in there. I could hear it through the recording. It was very beautiful. I enjoyed that moment, pulling a baits on us. Shauno, <laughs> Sean preached for the first time. Bro, you did so well. It was so powerful. In the life of Peter, sharing through some of their trip in Israel, it's, it's worth going and getting. And Lex, Lex did another one on uh, Philippians, the section that I just went through now, the Messiah poem. So that's what you missed if you've been away over that time. So this morning we're going to read in chapter 2 and verse 12 to 18. Therefore, my beloved, writes Paul to the Philippians, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Aren't you grateful you didn't pick that week to preach? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. I actually prefer the NIV there. It says you shine as stars in the darkness. It's very visual. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud of you, says Paul, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So I'm going to do three, three points this morning, like a good Baptist, which I'm not, but still. The first one is this. Monday comes after Sunday. Easy to remember. Monday comes after Sunday. The second point is this. God won't set your alarm. And the third point is this. We are not alone. And it's not a conspiracy theory about aliens. Any of those things. Alright, so let's get into it. Number one, Monday comes after Sunday. I want to show you in this text in Philippians how what we get taught on a Sunday space or any other space where we are taught is meant to, it has to, it's imperative that it translates into the rest of our lives. Listen, I'm really grateful, husband, that you are so nice to your wife on a Sunday morning. It would be so great, wouldn't it, wives, if that translated into the rest of the week. I'm so glad that you worship God passionately and with full zeal in your heart on a Sunday morning. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could look into your bedroom and see you doing that on your knees early in the morning before God, worshiping with zeal in our hearts. After Sunday comes Monday. And this, this idea that there is a demand on us is, a, is an idea that the millennials particularly, our students, you guys have got to watch out for this more than anything because there's an entitlement sweeping across the world. Don't, don't you put demand on me. Even in your first job, you go and speak to anyone who employs people out of varsity. What's the one big complaint? I've got to teach them that work is actually what you do here. You don't just come with your ideas of what you think you can contribute because you're like, you know, 
No, no, no. There's not an entitlement attitude doesn't work. And we bring the same attitude to our Christianity and we're like, hey, don't you put your demands on me, preacher boy. Don't you, don't, who do you think you are? Don't you place anything on me, thank you very much. And I'm not, but Scripture is. Scripture very much is. There's a demand. And I think that Christians, we should, we should have like these little stickers that as someone comes to know Christ, we go and stick like the sticker on them that says, obedience required. This is not it. We've taught people, like you put your hand up, you say, oh, a little prayer, yay, that's it, let's go find the next one. No, no, no. You're like a little baby lying on the open plain. you just like, you, you, you don't know anything yet. We've got to help you. You've got to grow. We've got to teach you about obedience. We can't just leave you there. Look at all the instructions in the text that we read this morning. Don't take it from me. Let's read it in the Word of God. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always, look at the big O word. It's like a swear word in our culture. Obeyed. As you have always obeyed. Who's he talking about? Who are they obeying? Him. Paul. Because he goes on to say, not only in my presence, but even now. So while I was there, you were obeying. But much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Do you see that little word? Work out. Can you feel the demand? Do something. Verse 14, he just says it right out for you in case you're still struggling. Do all things. Beginning of verse 14. Verse 16, holding fast. To the word of life. I mean, if you go through the book of Philippians, guys, you can just see it everywhere. If you go through any of the books of the Bible, you can see it all over the place. And the beauty of it is that there's this call to action, but it's not just a call to action. It's constantly linked with him saying, I did it. I've been there. I've done it. You do it because Christ has done it. Not some law book. We, you guys know. We preach this week after week after week in this church. We are not coming to some moralistic, legalistic faith where you've got to behave. This is the new gen way to do it. And you just didn't do it like that, Nathan. So I'm having this conversation because you didn't do it the new gen way. We don't wear shorts when it's freezing cold and minus three degrees outside. Get some longs on, man. That's not the new gen way. That's just common sense, all right? (laughs) But there's so many verbs. There's so many verbs all over. And it all comes to this head in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Work out your own salvation, he says, with fear and trembling. And everyone who's been trying to like uh, push forward the agenda of legalism and moralism, if you don't know what those words are, by the way, legalism is we're trying to make you follow our laws. Moralism is there's a certain code of behavior here. There's morals that you have to find out. How, how, that's just like so prevalent in our society, right? Don't worry about your heart. Just you behave, boy, because you're going to embarrass me if you don't. Right? Moralism. And this is like a supposed victory. It's like the power verse. Kapow! For all like the legalists and the moralists. They're like, see? See? Work out your salvation. Hmm? Hmm? What do you think about that? And they put it on their fridge. On the bumper sticker next to the fish. Okay, so we must ask, when we read that, we must ask this question. Well, what, what isn't Paul saying? I want you to listen carefully to this. This is what Paul is not saying. When we find something, this should come up behind me, which seems contrary to a truth we know about God, we can be sure that if we understood it correctly, we will realize that there is no contradiction. When you are reading the Word of God, and you come across something which seems to go against the character of God, If it's about God, obviously, not just a story part. You can be sure that it's not God's character that's changed. Either you have the incorrect lens on, or you're misunderstanding something. So if you read that text in light of Scripture, you will very quickly realize what? That we are saved by? By grace, by Faith alone, can you add anything to that? Let me ask you, Nugent, I quote this all the time. Hopefully you can remember it. What is the only thing you bring to the table of salvation? The sin which made it necessary. 
That's all you bring. That's crazy. That all that I bring to the table of salvation, man, we're in a, in a, in a culture that wants to always bring something. Let me just contribute. Let me, let me split the bill. Let me, pay the, let me pay the tip. Let me pay the car guard if you want. Let me pay any of that. Like We must contribute somewhere. And the only thing we bring to the table of salvation is the sin which made it necessary. So Paul cannot be saying you earn your salvation. So working out your salvation does not mean that you earn your salvation. Neither does it mean that God saves you in a moment. So you could read that verse and say, work out your own salvation. Oh crumbs, God saves me and then just leaves me alone. He just leaves me on my own to, to work us out. Neither does it mean that. And we'll get into that just now. Nor, and this is for the guys really scratching the barrel when they read this verse, nor does it mean, or nor is it an excuse to pull out of church community because you need to do it on your own. I've had this. In this text, that's really scratching the barrel. Work out your own salvation. Well, I don't have to come to church because I'm working it out on my own. Thank you very much. And we'll get into that just now as well. I can't wait for that part. Whew. The gloves off this morning. I love that Paul anticipates the human heart. What does he say immediately after that? For it is God. Doesn't he just see us coming from a mile away? He can see our, our hearts bent towards moralism, bent towards legalism. And he says, for it is God. And we're going to get into that just now. So that's what Paul's not saying. He's not saying that you earn your salvation. What is Paul saying? Well, he's saying, here's, here's a quote by Martin Luther, which Johannes reminded me of this week. It's so powerful. He's saying, we, we are saved by faith alone, but faith should not remain alone. We're saved by faith alone, but faith should not remain alone. And so Monday comes after Sunday. There's a demand. Now go do it, Paul is saying. I've told you the what, I've told you the why, I've, Jesus has shown you the how, now go and practice. And it's, it's beautiful. Paul's getting deeply practical. He's sweeping aside the, the lecture hall. He's sweeping aside the endless philosophical discussions around the nuances of what Scripture means. And he says, you know what, why don't you just go and do some of this? Why don't we just go and, why don't you just, the, the knock effect, just, just do it. Why don't you go and live something? Why don't you go and do something? Why don't you go and grow in something? Yes, you're saved. It's like, it's like, so the, the metaphor for me is like someone who's desperate to get married. They get married, right? What's their position? Married, right? Do we then just go into marriage and just completely ignore our wife or our husband? Do we just go into marriage and just have the worst marriage ever? Was that the point? Surely your position in Christ, yes, we're saved, we don't earn our position in Christ, but surely it only makes logical sense that we then begin to work it out. The point is not just the marriage, it's not just your ticket to heaven, it's not just your like, what they call it, fire insurance, get out of, get out of hell free card. That's not the point of salvation. The point of salvation is like a marriage. You've now said, yes, but that's just the one day. Now he wants to teach us, to teach us, to teach us, to teach us. We want to grow. And all the wives in the room said, Amen. I said it for you. See, Paul's, Paul's interest is not, not theoretical. He's not trying to put some theory on the table here. He wants behavior to change. Make no bones about it. He wants you to work it out. He's saying, figure it out. Go and explore it. Look at it. Think about the practicals. How do you now live what you believe? Let me ask you that. What has changed since you became a believer? What is different about you because you know Jesus that would be, would be, what, what was changed from what you would be if you didn't know Jesus? If not much has changed, Houston, we got a problem. So let's finish this point with a couple of quick questions. When did you last stop and consider these things? When did you stop and consider, Lord, am I really growing? Lord, am I, am I really growing? I'm not speaking this in judgment and, and over anybody. God knows I need these questions just as much as you, all right? Just relax. But I, I hear, and I've heard for many years, conversations about yesteryear. And you don't have to be 50 or 60 or 70 to have a conversation about yesteryear. 
about what God used to say to you, about God, what God used to do in your life, about the dreams you used to have, the vision you used to have, the missions you used to go on, or whatever it is that you believe God has put you on this planet for. And we point backwards and we have this huge rearview mirror and our windscreen is like tiny. God, am I really growing? And we ask questions like, Father, are there things that you are wanting me to do that I am not doing? What is it you want me to obey, Lord? Maybe even right now, in our meeting, the Holy Spirit is busy reminding you of things that He said, I want you to do this. I want you to do this thing, whatever it is. And for whatever reasons you may have, you've put it off and put it off and delayed it and delayed it. I just believe He wants to come and put His finger on our heart right now. You don't have to wait for the end and some, some nice swelling music and some like response moment and someone coming lay hands on you. Just right now, let the Holy Spirit speak to you and convict you. Lord, if there's people sitting here, myself included, Father, we know that you've spoken things to us which we have not done. Some small things, some hard things, some easy things, some very, very difficult things. Would you come and give us grace to work out those things in our lives? So we say no to saved by works, but we say an absolutely resounding yes to good works, to created for good works. Number two, God won't set your alarm. It's where the gloves come off a little bit, so you're going to have to bear with me, but I really want to get into your face a little bit on this. God won't set your alarm. The text says again, we're still on the same verse, I just want to drill down like a dentist getting into that rotten root of our hearts. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I want to pull out a couple of things here that I feel are really pertinent to what working out your own salvation means. Number one, working out your own salvation means that you don't, you resist the temptation to live vicariously through someone else's spirituality. It's your own. It's your own. If you are here this morning, and again, not in judgment, if you're here this morning, and this is the first time that you're engaging with God this week, you are living vicariously through me. Through the study time that I've put in, through the Word of God that I've read this week. Now maybe it was, maybe it was just a bad week, and that's okay, but if that is the pattern of your life, if the pattern of your life looks like I don't engage with God's Word except when I'm there on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night at Life Group, or we now have Life Groups on a Monday night, a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, a Thursday night, maybe even on a Friday night, so you've got no excuse really. It's the <laughs> maybe it's through a mom, a grandpa, a granny. Who are you living your faith through? He carries on and he says, live out your own salvation, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What's with that? What's with the fear and trembling? Well, I, I think it's, it's to do with us owning a deep sense of responsibility as we work it out. This is not a light thing. And God's sovereignty comes to bear on it. So don't live out vicariously through others. I think the second thing, is the little word work out really stood out for me when I was going through this and thinking about it. Work out, in other words, there's a movement to it. Can you see the movement? Work out your salvation. Continue in your salvation. Move on in your salvation. Grow. All of these are, are movement words. They indicate a growth of some kind. And I really felt as I was preparing this to challenge us congregation not to live in the wounds of the past and begin to find our identity in there. This is so easy to do. Now a little caveat here, alright, a little disclaimer. You know, if you're a guest, just pardon me this morning, but if you here week on week on week, you know how much we care about the hurting. You know that we don't subscribe to pithy things around depression or around marriage struggles, or any of these things. We don't subscribe to saying, oh, you just, just pull yourself toward yourself. We know that those are deep things that need to be pastored and worked through. So don't hear in anything that I'm saying here about getting over our wounds, any of that nonsense, because that's the first thing the devil's going to come and tell you. No one cares for you. No, we do care for you. We care for you so much that we want you to grow and come out of it on the other end, and not to find your identity in this festering wound.
when Paul speaks about working out our salvation, I want to remind us this morning that we are an army on mission with God. Okay, get that metaphor, get that picture in your head. God has been on mission for eternity. And I think half of our problem is that we inflate our own space on earth. My mission, Paul's mission, oh, 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 60, 70 years on earth. What change am I going to do? What significance am I going to bring? What meaning am I going to bring? Man, I'm part like a little blip boop, on this mega mission that God's been on for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And the crazy thing is I get invited in. It's like the best opportunity in the world. Paul, come partner with me on my mission. Pete Howard Brown used to say it like this. It's like God turning to a ham sandwich and saying, come on, ham sandwich, let's go conquer the world. That's the metaphor. That's the equivalent. So we are this army on mission, and we've got a little hospital wing. We've got a hospital wing where the broken and the hurting are being restored and being looked after and cared for by the best nurses that we can that we can get by the best doctors, by the best surgeons that we can find in our midst, saying, God, send us those people. We want to equip ourselves to help people pastorally. But some of us, the bleeding hearts, we want it to be a hospital. Forget this army stuff. What's the point of going out there and getting more people? Can't you see, Paul, there's people hurting right here. Let's fix them first. And we want to be this hospital, and at the hospital door, we find with a bit of security. That's the army part. You know, the security at the hospital door. That's No, 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 my friends. We're an army. We're on God's mission. God is calling us to advance His kingdom in the world, not to put little plasters on one another and scratch each other's backs like a pack of baboons each week, picking fleas off each other. That's not God's intent for us. We're a missional people. I love PJ Smart. He's the guy who leads Advance, which we're part of. He, he used this phrase, you're speaking to elders and teaching on elders, but he, he spoke about, he said this, we recover... When we get hurt, we recover to the sound of the booming of the cannons and the guns on deck, itching to get back into the fray. I like that. So we refuse. We tell ourselves, Paul, you hurt, you're wounded. There's seasons where we need to take a back seat. I get that. We all know this. There's time where God needs to heal us. There's stuff which takes a long time to heal. None of that I'm throwing out. I'm not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. But I'm saying we can't live there, guys. If in 30 years' time we're still talking about the same wound, the same husband who did this to us, or wife who did this to us, or this Boston, this person, man, there's a kingdom to advance. And then thirdly, even though Paul says your own salvation. We don't go alone. We don't go alone. And Paul is speaking about community. And let me ask you a question. Show me, show me, and I mean this practically. If you can do this, come and do it with me afterwards. Show me one person who has faithfully rejected church community. Year after year, who is growing in fruitfulness, who is growing in maturity in Christ, who is growing in love for Christ, who is growing in obedience to Christ, and who is making more of a kingdom difference than they would have if they were, if they were in the local church. I want to I challenge you this morning that it's not, it's not intellectually honest to claim both the infallibility of God's Word and to take a position, practically, that isolates you from a single community. Single church community. I don't believe it's intellectual honesty. If you believe that God's word is infallible, it's impossible to take the position that you shouldn't be in a single church community. And I'm going to show you why. And I, This is born out of spaces where I've had discussions with people over the years. Where guys are like, well... Paul, how can you say I should just come to like one church? What if I go to Shofar this week and every nation the next week and New Gen the next week and Gemeente the next week and then Enchia the next week? Isn't that all? Everyone's part of the same body of Christ. And they've misunderstood what Scripture is doing. And again, if you don't know me, you'll know that I chase people away rather than like try and make this church big. We say week after week, guys, go where you can be used. 
We're not, we're not trying to build a big church here. Quite the contrary. I'd preach much nicer if we were. We're far gentler. Come, enjoy yourselves. Just, just think about what Scripture teaches. So think about the instructions to put elders in place, to appoint elders. If we just this one big universal church and we can just go where everyone... What's Paul instructing? So you can't hold to that being the infallible word of God and of you where you aren't locked into a single congregation. What about where Scripture speaks about us functioning in our gifts and working out our gifts one to another? What about the numerous occasions where we see in Scripture where they gathered together, small groups of people? Now, guys, I'm not talking about new gen. If you want to be part of a home church, wonderful, but be faithful there. If you want to be part of Shofar, wonderful, be faithful there. Christchurch, anyway, I often tell you guys, let's not shoot holes in the boat. There's wonderful churches in this town. God Give them grace to keep growing. We need more and more and more. Not even a fourteenth, in my estimation, of this city, town, whatever you want to call it, is reached for the gospel. What about each one? Bring a word. One of you bring a psalm. One of you bring a hymn. One of you bring this. Some of us guys, we, we need, we're doing church light. And I want to challenge you. I want to get in your nose, up your nose this morning. If, you know, it, you know, you come because the, the weather's not quite nice enough for the beach. And it's, it's not so terrible that you, that you don't want to get out of bed. It's kind of like in between. Oh, what should we do today? Oh, let's go to church. Because it's not too bad. You know? I'm not contending for every single week of your life. I want to see you here, sign the register at the front door. That's not what I'm contending for. But some of you are taking yourselves out of church community and you're doing it to your peril. And you know what else you're doing it to? Our peril. We had a, we had a family night on Friday night as, as our habit. And one of my kids, I won't tell you which one, one of my kids didn't want to do charades. One of them chose, they each get to choose a game, and we were playing charades. And one of them didn't want to play charades. So I said, well, if you don't want to play charades, off to your room, and you can go and have, you can go and have your sleep. And that, that caused a bit, of a, a bit of a cry. So that wasn't great. But I was saying, look, you, you can't be here and, and put a wet blanket on the whole family. Go there, and you've got five minutes to make up your mind, and then come join us if you want to. So this kid went off, and, but you know, as he was out for that five minutes... That narrows it down to three. <laughs> As the child was out for five minutes. You know that it felt impoverished? As a family. It wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. Not with all my minions playing. This is not just about you. It's about us too. We're impoverished when you aren't here. I want, to, I want to maybe even take it up a step in cheekiness, and I want to speak from, like, guys, I'm, I'm in the trenches with you here. Moms, hello, in the mom's room, and dads, in the mom's room. If you've got little parents, this is the hardest phase of your life in terms of trying to get into a church community. Think about the logistics of trying to get into life group or trying to get you on a Sunday morning. It's like, you know, talk about the church or army. My family's in army. Like trying to get them on the move in the, in the morning. It's like, have you got your shoes? Have you got this? Out the door, out the door, out the door. It's unbelievable. But I've had conversations with parents who are falling into the trap that somehow they're blessing their family to make community light, to not come on a Sunday morning. And our moms, I, I get this. Kate has been in the mom's room for 10 years, and I admit it, it's my fault. <laughs> Alright? But 10 years solid. We have had conversation after conversation after conversation. Is it worth it? Why am I coming? What is the point of this thing? That's why we've got wireless headsets. Our moms can go and listen to what we're actually saying on a Sunday morning. We're trying to do everything we can to make it as easy and accessible for them to be there. But listen, if you're falling into the trap that somehow it's a blessing to take yourself out of community, I want to encourage you. It's a lie from the devil. Your family needs church. Your wife needs to be a wife's. You need to be a mom's. You need to be here because there's someone in that mom's room that God wants you to encourage this morning, that God wants to speak to this morning. It's not just about you. It's about us. And... 
I want to really commend you for being so committed. At the same time as I'm saying all of us, some, some of you here, some of the moms in the moms' room, some of the dads, sorry, it's the parents' room now. The parents' room. You guys are here week after week after week, and I want to say it's amazing. Well done. You're adding value to us, and you're obeying the Word of God. And I promise you from the depth of my heart, this is not like a we want you here because we're going to check on you. I, I, it's not that at all. But when we stand contrary to the Word of God on any issue, I'm going off the community this morning, but if we stand contrary to the Word of God on any issue, He will not bless that. He won't. So if you think you're blessing your family by taking them to the beach, guys, please, hear my heart. I'm not talking about an occasional Sunday where you wake up and you're exhausted and you stay at home. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a pattern and a lifestyle. You do the audit yourselves and you say, God, what is the pattern of my life? Is the pattern of my life toward community? Is the pattern of my life away from community? And don't bluff yourself. Be honest. Now, you might be wondering why I called this point, God won't set your alarm clock. It's a great question. <laughs> it's because of this. Have you ever heard the phrase? It's, it's a very, very spiritual phrase. Just let go and let God. Just let go and let God. You're trying too hard, Paul. You're trying so hard for holiness. Just let go and let God. What are they saying? What are they saying? Well, well you, you, God's going to do it. God's going to do it. I don't know how bad a word this is here. Bollocks. Absolute rubbish. You do not just let go and God's going to do it. Because we, we get to partake. It's, the, it's one of the joys of my life and one of the greatest trials of my life that I get to partake in my own sanctification. I get to partake in my own spiritual formation. And some of us are, 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 are under this illusion that we, God's just going to somehow do it. So he's so surprised. Why am I not less patient? Why am I not less impatient? That's my struggle. I always share that. I'm so impatient. I really am. I'm terrible. Why am I not more patient? And we're completely at a loss for like, why? Well, because you make no effort. You bring nothing to bear. You don't even try and shut your mouth. You just think, well, God's going to do it. Just let go and let God. He's going to just let go. Let, let God. So that's why I called it, God's not going to set your alarm. No, no, brother. If, if God really wants you to spend time in the morning with Him, He'll wake you. No, He won't. No, He won't. God's not going to choose what you do with your spare time. And trust me, when you have kids, you realize how much you have. You have spare time. I reckon on the average you've got 40, 50 hours a week of spare time when you think of the TV we watch, of this we do, of that we do. God's not going to choose what you do with your spare time, but what you do with your spare time will ultimately affect your maturity in God. You're going to give it away to series. Again, I'm not preaching against series, especially not some of them are really good. You're going to give it away to super sport. Give it away to your hobby. I want to dispel the myth this morning that God is somehow going to miraculously grow your gifts. Some of us are like, I wish the church used me more. I wish you grew up some more in your gifts. God's called me to be a prayer warrior. Well, where were you at prayer meeting? Interesting. Because if I don't weekly, monthly, grow the preaching gift that I believe God's placed over my life, you're going to be impoverished because God is not going to miraculously grow me. I am going to work with the grace and the power of God to grow. And then maybe the most potent one is God's not going to grow your character. He's not going to just... Do you remember Todd Bentley? Full of tattoos, a huge revival. Revival? Six or seven years ago. You know, the moment we knew that that was absolute garbage 
was the moment that he stood up, because we were watching it and thinking there's a whole lot of guys in the congregation getting involved in it, and we were very, very reluctant to say this is not of God, because it looked like a move of God. And one day he stood up, and he said, I had a vision, an angel Emma, I think was the name of his, of his personal angel, came to me and said, God has told me, he had a box in his hand, God has told me, Todd, the world needs you now. I don't have time to develop your character. Here, take your character. God's done it for you. It's exactly what he said. And in that moment, we stood up that Sunday. Pete, I remember him doing it, and said, this is not of God. God is not going to develop your character. We've got to learn to show restraint. We've got to grow up. So where are we at with this? Living vicariously through others? Have our wounds become the mission? Are we trying to go alone, trying to do it alone, or assuming God is going to just somehow do this stuff in us without us doing anything? And so let's, let's finish here. Sorry, I have been a little bit long. So you might be saying like, oh, Paul, <laughs> that's a lot of stuff. I mean, do we get any help? Is anybody going to Help me carry this. And of course he does. Of course he does. And that's, that's this last point. And it's very quick. We are not alone. We're not alone. If we look at our text, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And if you look at this passage, and I haven't done a great exegetical job this morning, I wanted to just hit some of this stuff that I feel is pertinent for our community. So I haven't gone through it word by word. But the emphasis of this passage is that they are not alone. That God is still with them. Where Paul is saying, I'm in prison. I can't be there to instruct you anymore. But God is with you. I can't be there to pass to you, but God will pass to you. God is right there with you. He's working in them. He's working with them. He's working on them. It takes me back to Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. We spent a whole week on this as well. And I am, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he who gave you your salvation, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's the journey. He started the good work, salvation. He's bringing it to completion. He's working with us. He's helping us. I'm going to finish with an analogy here. I was thinking about, well, how do I explain this? Is it justification? Is it works? Is it faith? Is it works? What is it? And I've, I've been trying to labor that this whole morning. But I thought about, we give our kids pocket money. They do some chores or whatever, and they get some pocket money that they can go and spend at the tuck shop on a, on a Friday. So they run off to the Rhenish tuck shop, and they go and buy some chuta or whatever they buy. Now, who's provided the means? Me. It's not their money. It comes out of my wallet or Kate's wallet. It's our money. Who, who's given them the assistance, the ability? Well, us. We gave them the money. They can't go to the tuck shop and, and beg. But that child must still go at first break and walk to the tuck shop and order what they want and pay with the money that they had. And it just that, that for me was just a really helpful metaphor or analogy. So who brought the sweets? Well, it depends. Doesn't it? Depends on what angle you're looking at it. Both of us bought the sweets. I gave him the money. I gave him the ability. I gave him the, the means. He had to bring some effort. This is this little verse in verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. I actually far prefer it in the NLT. It's much easier to understand. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. God is giving it to us. And then... Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Do you see what happens there? It's another billboard. 
It's the fourth one. We can see the first two. We can see Jesus being held up as a billboard. And then this is the fourth one. Holding fast to the word of life. And I want you to just read verse 17 with me. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, fancy way of saying, I died. Even if I get killed, I am glad and rejoice with you all. So he's, you can see this is the section that concludes all the way back where he starts in chapter 1. All the way back where he's speaking about these two scenarios, whether he's going to live or die. He goes on all these little caveats all the way through. He's going, speaking about this, speaking about Jesus. And then right at the end, he goes right back to that original thought and he says, even if I die, if that's the option that happens, I want you to rejoice. I want you to be glad. Beautiful, eh? I'm sure you're ready for communion and your lunch. It's in the, in the oven. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this morning, for the way that you speak to us, that the way that you challenge us. Father, I ask that my words that have gone out would not be would not be humanly cutting. I don't want to, I don't want to do surgery on hearts with an axe, God. And I pray that if any of my stuff has come across as judgmental, as too harsh, or any of those things, Lord, would you come and with your scalpel would you cut into our hearts in the way that you intend? Lord Jesus, I don't want to bring any guilt. I don't want to bring any condemnation. But I ask you that by your Holy Spirit you would bring conviction into our lives that really changes us, that doesn't change us for a month or two months or makes us plug into community for a season, but God, that for the rest of our lives we would be deeply challenged to the core about your plan and purpose for us in a community. Thank you, God, that we can trust that you know what's best for us. Some of you this morning have been hurt in community and there's a reluctance in your heart. What if that happens again? I want to tell you that the Father would not ask you to do something that is for your bad. He wants to bless us. He wants us to live in freedom. Lord, would you come and set, set that person free this morning? God, we look to you this week asking you to go before us, go before our families as we go out into the real workplaces and bar roads and highways of our lives, God, help us to make a difference for your kingdom. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.